Freedom fighters rejoice. Dimitri Downing is on this episode of the Chillinois podcast. Hey, I just wanted to remind you that if you're listening to this episode on any other platform than Patreon, you're probably hearing this episode at least two weeks late. You can support our podcast and get access to exclusive content at chillinois.net slash Patreon. Once again, that's chillinois.net slash Patreon. Enjoy the show. He's a professional lobbyist, business development consultant, and regulatory expert in the American and international cannabis industry. He's the chief executive officer at MEDA, the Marijuana Industry Trade Association, and God damn it, he might just be one of the most powerful guests I've had on this show. Dimitri, thank you for sitting down with me today. You looked a little... Interesting concept. You said powerful, and I'm thinking about what, what does that mean? Yeah, hey. and who, who really is powerful? What is powerful? All that well, kind of stuff. What you had to say, I, I saw you on, I believe it was a show. I want to give a shout out, credit where credit is due. I believe it was Cannabis Pro Media. Um, right. Yeah, Pro Cannabis Media, actually. Um, and what you had to say was powerful. So that's, it, it really resonated with me. So that's what I meant. Um, but you know, take it however you want. <laughs> so, no, I just I've I've had the good fortune of uh, I had a nice upbringing, good parents, good mom, good dad, raised in the village mentality and the aristocratic academic elite mentality by a Stanford-educated father. So I really give them a lot of credit. But then, epistemology, Boston University, law school, prosecuting, all this stuff. And then I got dumped into the cannabis industry 10 years ago. So I've had all that training, all that knowledge. And what I had to do was unravel what was real and what wasn't real in the cannabis reality and, um, and, and apply my philosophical understanding of, of to this unique moment in history and this unique policy adjustment and this unique set of circumstances and, and variables. And that's why I identify things like regards to licensing market structures uh, that a lot of other people don't see. And before we get into what you want to talk about, let me throw you one out that I identified, I brought up at MJ BizCon. <clears throat> you know, a lot of these legislative moves, a lot of legalization is either being done through the legislature, through initiatives or referendum, three different processes. And everybody wants the UFCW support for their initiative or for the legislative move. So I was talking to the national chair at MJ BizCon in a, in a panel, and they're talking about the importance of workers' rights and pay and et cetera. Those things are important. I said, but if you guys really want to get into the heart of the matter, you guys should withhold your endorsement from any piece of legislation that legalizes that doesn't also involve uh, eliminating licensing caps because that holds down the dreams and hopes of the workers in any structure. And I think she understood. We'll see. But it's kind yeah. of looked like that deer in the headlights look like we haven't thought about this. And what the hell are you talking about, young man? I'm like, well, look, if you look, look deeper than what's on the surface or the five feet beneath the surface and you go down to the deepest currents and then underneath it, you'll find something bubbling up from the depths of the earth. Like 
the heat, the lava. That's the spirit that every human being has. And I believe all workers and all employees have that spirit too. You know what I'm saying? So they should have the right to one day take that energy and turn it into something more. Kind of a conceptual thing that I've been working on, but uh, it's coming much more and more clear to me. And we'll see what the UFCW does about endorsing future initiatives, but they really need to um, come out against limited licensing because uh, I mean, unless they believe that there should be workers and there should be kings. Well, that would be a bold gonna... step for an organization to say. Yeah. And you know what? I'm such a nice guy. I even gave them uh, an opportunity to look at it like, I was like, look, look at these initiatives and see if they involve limited licensing. Tell the drafters of the initiative that you cannot support limited licensing or else they won't get the UFCW support. Then sell me and my ideas out and get your labor agreements involved and support their limited licensing initiative. They will bend over backwards to give you any labor agreement so they can get your uh, support because what they really want is your limited licensing. So it's about me teaching you how to be a better you. <laughs> well, we just dove head deep into it. I want to get back to those things, like you said, but sure. first I didn't even say your name yet. Introduce yourself to my audience, oh, please. Dimitri Downing, and uh, like I mentioned, you're the chief executive officer of MITA, the Marijuana Industry Trade Association. And um, frankly, your association has a lot of values that that uh, we agree with, let's just say. And one of them has to do with your opinions on market structures and what, what might be the best, right? And so I guess I think the best way to do this really would be if you could give us a quick highlight reel of how you got into the Arizona cannabis industry, because I feel like if I recall your story correctly, that's how you identified that limited licensing is an issue. Like, am I wrong in that? And do you think that would be the most effective way to tell your story? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could go through it, but you know, it really comes down to this, you know, prohibition is ending. The drug war is ending and if you create a system that people can't participate in, uh, a, a market structure, a government model, a government-supported model of how the market should work, you're going to create the drug war 2.0 or prohibition 2.0. And you're going to have to impose civil and criminal sanctions upon individuals who don't participate in your market structure. So whether or not somebody wants to grow some cannabis and sell it on the street corner, that involves a punishment, a civil or criminal punishment. And what does that look like? And I'm not, this is not something that anyone reflects on ever. It just doesn't happen. Real estate, how we sell it has been evolving over a thousand years. Okay. Almost every commodity has decades, if not centuries, every good, every service of traditions. The cannabis industry, and it can't even be compared to ending alcohol prohibition because that was just like a little blip, a little, we had, you know, distilleries, we had uh, places where people drink, et cetera, et cetera. We shut them down for 10 years and then prohibition went away and we brought them back. Here, we're taking the commodity, the lounges, the distribution, the delivery, the retail, the cultivation, and all these different aspects of it and inventing them from scratch which never happens, which means people have to ask those questions. How many, should there be licenses at all? Should there be civil sanctions at all? Should there be criminal sanctions at all? You know, and it just boggles my mind that people can't 
people within our industry, let me call them out, can't understand or communicate what the values of this industry, what the, the plant, which the movement, the history, the I mean, it's all about freedom. It's all about choice. So why would you ever support a market structure if you're from this industry, if you care about the plant, if you care about the community that doesn't support freedom and choice? And that's less a, a less, if not unregulated market. You know, let's start there and negotiate backwards. Let the fuddy-duddies who hate cannabis be the ones who are promoting the laws and the rules and regulations that make it more restrictive. And that's what I realized because I've been on both sides. I mean, I was in 2013 when I started with my brother's enterprises, they tasked me with figuring out how to maximize value. And I'm, I'm a kind of a smart guy. I real quickly figured out that the best way to maximize value is to control the legislation as it comes through. I was on the opposite side of the MPP after I realized what they did in Colorado and Washington wasn't, um, is that front door knocking downstairs? Yeah, as the MPP um, created their initiatives, sorry, there was a little moment there, um, uh, that they didn't necessarily understand the economics and the business structures that they had created out of medical marijuana and weren't respecting them, which is, a, which is an, an argument. When, when they first designed these initiatives, they had to develop a, a, a market structure and they chose a good public policy decision at the time which was develop a market structure that was a little more restrictive, a little bit more closed, a little less apparent, so that the fuddy-duddies wouldn't get upset. You know, arguably, that's a very rational and, and reasonable thing to do. And the fuddy-duddies are mostly concerned about the very nature and notion of legalizing cannabis at all, let alone the market structure. And so, uh, and, and God bless Rob Campion for what they did and the whole team of individuals. I could go through all the names. I know all of them. They're all great people. And they deserve all the credit in the world. But now it's time to reflect upon the work that they did and try to open up the market. And what I did was absolutely wrong, which is I tried to promote, well, I mean, not necessarily wrong, but like once you have a market structure, why change it into uh, from a from medical use to adult use? Um, the medical structure wasn't in Arizona, it arguably wasn't created properly in the first place. You know, but once you create it properly, why are you going to change it? You know, so... But I was a, 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 a lobbyist, a lawyer involved in the industry, 2012, 2016. You know, and I had my particular task, my particular interests, my particular uh, agenda. And, uh, you know, over time, I got to learn more about really economics, you know, about policy, about hopes, about dreams, about people and how everybody deserves a right to access uh, an economy and uh, that and those values I think are consistent with the values of the cannabis community which I came to know and love through the free people at normal and now you know after you know growing up thinking free the weed was some crazy concept I know that free the weed that not just free the weed for the people but free the weed for the people that wants to navigate the industry and, it, and it's through this that we wouldn't have to worry about, oh, what's happening to the legacy, what's happening to the OGs, what's happening to social equity, if we did a clean slate and just let everybody get involved and at least pushed, at least said, hey, that's the right thing to do. You know, Mr. You don't know anything about cannabis, Mr. You hate cannabis. People deserve a free market economy in cannabis. The problem is that some people within cannabis, 
the cannabis industry now are like, you know, this limited licensing thing is the way to go because it's going to control the supply and it's going to protect this and it's going to do this. And they're using And it's going to prevent diversion. Can prevent diversion. They'll use a dozen different things to mask the truth, which is they're just trying to control their niche in the supply chain. They're just trying to control their right to control the cannabis. In 2016, I was actually approached by a guy who had four dispensaries in Arizona when at the very first night that I created Mita, and he said to me, Dimitri, is there any way we can organize this group of owners that you have here? Because it's about 85% owners at that time. Uh, and he was probably the most Machiavellian and devious of the group. And he said, can we organize it into something where we can control the, the price of flour so that we don't you know, eat each other's lunch and so we keep the price up and maintain $3,000 a pound because this is 2016 Arizona. And I was like, you mean like a guild? And he's like, yeah, exactly like a guild. I'm like, dude, did you not watch Dune? Remember what happened in Dune? Yeah, well, he who controls the spice controls the universe. But guess who won in the end? Who won? Mwadib. Mwadib. And, and the freemen. You know, the, the spice must be free. So anyway, so that was like an awakening moment. And, and you know, it's interesting because I really thought about the relationship between God and the devil and Dune. But it's making me reflect upon that. But this was the mentality and, and I'm glad he showed me that side of him because it was, it was that time that I was doing a lot of soul searching, a lot of reflection about everything that was going on, everything that I had learned, you know, having the good fortune of being deep involved in the cannabis community, the cannabis industry, the cannabis politics, et cetera, about what was right and wrong. And that's when we started to take kind of Mita in a different direction, which has now evolved to from an owner, from a butt tender with a dream to an owner with an extra strategy, everyone in between building the infrastructure of the cannabis industry together. And that means if you care about all those people, you shouldn't ever want to endorse or create or promote a set of institutions or government or structure or market structure, et cetera, call it what you want. That doesn't allow for those people within it to achieve at the highest levels that they possibly can. You know, and that's why I'm kind of at this point, you know, I will never support limited licensing again in, in the cannabis industry or the nuclear fusion industry. It just doesn't matter to me. And, uh, you know, take it one step further. Sorry, you probably want to ask a question in here somewhere. I just. No, like uh, dude, I love you it. Know, check it out. It's like my, you know what the minority report is, the Tom Cruise movie where they're judging people before they actually committed the crime. Yep. That's what you're doing. When you have like limited licensing and barrier century, no, you can't get a license because we don't think you have the merit because we think something's going to go wrong and you're going to do something wrong. And you didn't even let me get off the finish start line, you know, before you assumed I was going to trip. Is that the country you want to live in? Is that the world you want to live in? Is that, I mean, it's like, it's like, is anybody paying attention here? Is anybody awake? You know what I'm saying? It just blows my mind. It just, you know? Yeah. I mean, to quote one of our own state regulators, uh, they said that they had, I think it was 6,000 applications for what would be 150 uh, licenses. They knew that 99% of people that applied were not going to get them. Yeah. We had 4,000 individuals look into our social equity program. Um, 1,300, about 1,300 of them paid $4,000. 
26 of them ended up getting licenses. So what does that mean? That means 4,000 individual, close to 4,000 individuals who wanted to try to elevate themselves, who were self-described as social equity eligible, could do nothing in the end because of the government, not because of themselves. Yeah. And, you know? And the craziest thing, Dimitri, to, to one of your main points is it's the government doesn't enforce this as a, well, let's just say it this way. They enforce it as a crime. They don't in, enforce it as a business offense, like you're operating without a food license or something like that. No, it's a yeah, crime. It's civil, civil versus criminal sanctions. Yeah. That is, watch that closely. Decrim. Because there are members of this industry that will push for criminal sanctions. Why? Obviously, because it's going to keep their profits up. And those are their tax. I mean, those are basically their armed cronies. They can point to, you know, well, black yeah. market uh, well, like you in know, operations. There's more decrim. There's sure. decrim in California. So that, you know, and but look, there's a big gray market and, and, and people think that's wrong. But is it is it wrong? Is it is it wrong? According yeah. to who? Right. You know? It gets a little bit more complicated than that, but just, you know, we should never have criminal sanctions uh, supported by our industry. Let them come from the outside. But then what they'll do is they'll hire the lobbyists and they'll bring them, do a roundabout, and they'll get them behind those individuals. Say, it wasn't our idea. Watch so can, lobbying dollars. So can I ask you about that? What I, I kind of am going to cut to the chase here. I've got a few things, a few ideas that you've said in the past that I do want to return to. I've got them written down, but... You just pointed out right there, lobbyists are involved. And frankly, there's a lot of profit behind limited licensing. I mean, it allows you not only to, as you said, artificially inflate the value of your product, but it allows you to artificially inflate the value of your license, right? So if, right. if worse comes to worse, you can sell off your license at a huge price. With all of that in mind, how do us common folk... <laughs> fight for a system that's equitable and i know the answer is organization but can you give me any more like what what's worked for you well first of all normal does a great job and there and there there's a lot of smart individuals with normal yeah there are organizations out there how does the comment but i mean it just that, seems like there's so much money behind limited licensing and there's lobbyists behind that but there's not really uh, you know, besides folks like you and I and, and other people that maybe listen to this show, I don't know how else to get the drive to to make change. Support Mita. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Hell um, yeah. Yeah. No, Mita USA is, is it's, I was waiting for the, uh, the right moment to strike. And in 2020, 2021, I realized that there was a group of individuals out there that were more concerned about the patients and the consumers and their reputation and their stories uh, that they are, uh, that they're trying to create. And that group of in individuals is the brands. So we're going to be working closer with brands like cookies or Cali effects or all these different brands out there that are concerned about their reputations rather than they're controlling their niche in the supply chain. So, you know, definitely work with organizations. I mean, there's power in numbers. I mean, you, we've known that since the time of the Iliad and the Odyssey and the ancient Greeks. I mean, there's, it's not not a, a it's not a new concept. So there are organizations out there. Um, you know, watch the lobbying dollars. You know, talk to your legislators. Educate your representatives, your senators, your politicians, your friends, your family on how this market structure works. I always say that it won't really change 
for a generation. Um, let me give you an example. I have like six individuals in their 20s that work with me. Every single one of them is understanding exactly the nonsense that's going on in the cannabis industry and the lack of opportunity. Well, one day they'll be 40 years old and one day they'll be politicians too or their husbands or their cousins or their aunts. And one day those politicians will sit in the state houses, the representatives and senators. And just like they all have experience in real estate right now, every single house across America, they will have uh, experience in cannabis through themselves or through family members. So a generation from now, we're gonna be looking back at this and saying, what did we, what happened? What, why did this happen? But there is that competition against the lobbying dollars. And, um, and, and quite frankly, one of the reasons why we're starting Media USA is because I heard one MSO, and not all MSOs are bad, say, well, how do we slow down federal legalization so that we can adjust our investment dollars uh, accordingly? In what reality was federal legalization ever about the industry. It's about people having a right to access the plant. It's about people not being persecuted. Exactly. It, 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 prosecuted, persecuted, kind of the same thing sometimes. Same thing in this yeah. case, yeah. <laughs> I'm an ex-prosecutor. It's not the same thing, but it doesn't really matter anymore. Sure. Um, that uh, Those days are long behind me. Long behind me. Although there is value in being a prosecutor because you have the power to free people as well, which is an interesting concept. But not a lot of prosecutors look at it that way. Yeah. doesn't matter. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of things you can do. I mean, you can do those things, you know? I mean, you can think about it. You can meditate on it. You know, I always say that even if you sit there and pray, you're doing something actively. So, I mean, I don't think God is actually necessarily listening about free markets, but maybe he is. So it starts with prayer, and it ends in running for president of the United States and then coming down and saying, hey, you know what? Everything's all fucked up here now. I'm going to run president of the United States. I'm not going to go with war with Russia. I'm not going to deal with the Middle East. The one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that we have a free market in cannabis. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like imagining God is up there like, man, this limited licensing stuff is fucked up. No, <laughs> yeah. you know what? And actually, I think I, I think the cannabis industry is making me realize this. Because I spent a lot of time, as we all spent a lot of time, wondering things about like God and, you know, I'm Catholic, I'm Christian, kind of, you know, what, what does it mean, all this kind of stuff. But I, I realized that... The, the one thing that I'm certain of, well, I mean, there's a lot of things I'm certain of probably at this point and a lot of things I'm uncertain of, but there's one thing that I love to remind myself of is that free will, freedom is God. Choice, that free choice is our divine blessing, whether it's a gift from God or God in and of itself, that notion, it goes back to the Garden of Eden or to the gorilla or ape who climbed out of the tree down in Savannah and decided to go hunt uh, a squirrel rather than eat a nut. That freedom, that choice is what drives us. Why shouldn't we fight as hard as we can to reflect that same concept, that same principle in the systems that we create? Not just for cannabis, free market, not just for cannabis, for everything. That's just, that's just something that's like, it's becoming more and more clear to me. And I'm hoping to have enough years left in this lifetime to make it even more clear. And the more I release myself to it, the more clear it becomes, which is a really cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, one of the things that you you'd said in the past that I think is super powerful that I want to put back out there is um. I mean, I, you, if I you, what's that? That's what I said. If I decided to do some more mushrooms, hell yeah, dude, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, let's do I mean, together. I really don't. Everybody always asks me to make sure do you use mushrooms, do you smoke cannabis? It's not, I'm, I'm, I do a lot of yoga and I keep my mind very clear. And this is just from experience and education and the fortune. Have you I've ever had. smoked weed? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I've had. Okay. I actually accidentally smoked weed um, on Wednesday night. You accidentally smoked weed. There's a story yeah. there. Let's tell you. You mind telling real quick before I get to your quote? I was outside <laughs> smoking a cigarette because I had three drinks and uh-huh. somebody handed me uh, what I thought was a cigarette and I smoked weed. And then I started smoking. I was like, oh. okay. Then my mind started working on overdrive, right? So <laughs> right, right now my mind is working like on D4, D5. If I have my mind working on D6, D7, it's going to burn out. So it's a bad idea. Got to slow it down, huh? Well, I just, my mind works at this speed without cannabis. So yeah, rather you don't want to speed it up. That's, that's what you, (laughs) yeah. Cool. Well, I just, I just just would have trouble. I'll just be honest with you. But it does help me, it does help me for sleep. And I do encourage it as a therapeutical uh, substance to help you balance out. And that's one of the, the, one of the most amazing things that I learned because I came into this industry in 2012 thinking that you know, this was some sort of like crutch. And then I started to meet all the, all the patients and all the employees and all these individuals. Like, okay, you got a 4.0 coming out of high school and you smoke pot every day. I'm like, how'd that happen? Cause I got like a 3.7 and I tried to stay sober, whatever, you know what I'm saying? And then all my friends from law school started contacting me and they're like, Dimitri, we love your advocacy. You know, we smoked pot all through law school in the nineties and we didn't tell anybody late nineties. And we didn't tell anybody cause we won't get in trouble. And I'm like, well, you're so much better of a researcher, writer than I am. I'm like, then I met Michael Weiser, who was one of the executive directors of Normal, and he would edit uh, newspapers. He would, at lunch, he'd go out, smoke, joint, come back in, sit in front of the computer for three hours, pump shit out. I'm like, I can't do that. You know, what am I doing wrong? You know, and then that actually led me to yoga, which helps me out, helps me my balance. But I realized at that point that, you know, we have made a great mistake as in, in Western society, you know, trying to control people's access and right to their own alternative remedies, whether it's, you know, juggling, whether it's coffee, whether it's cannabis, whether it's God, whether whatever they need to balance themselves out, we need to fight for their right to have access to it. And, and, and I will forever fight for the rights of those who want to have access to cannabis or mushrooms, a whole lot of other things, you know, so long as it makes them a better them, better person. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've said in the past, this, uh, you know, just to, I wanted to bring up some, uh, quotes you've said in the past that I think are super powerful. You um, remember some of my so, quotes? I really like you. Yeah, sort of unrelated to what we were just talking about, but kind of in the same vein. Um, This is kind of going back to, you know, Mita USA. There are several individuals that would like to get into the cannabis industry so that they can explore their hopes, dreams, and possibilities, not just as a worker, but as a potential entrepreneur. Limitations on the issues, issuance of licenses, a concept that longtime listeners of our podcast are pretty familiar with, 
are one of the main things standing in their way. So again, I just wanted to highlight that again. It's not only, um, so, so I like that you frame it that way, but you also say that, you know, this industry really, yeah, yeah. But you you followed it up. You followed it up with this industry is really about giving, you know, giving to the consumers (laughs) and patients. It's not about protecting those who have. And so if you want to be associated with the right thing, then you need to fight for these ideals, these principles, regulations, statutes, or ordinances that ultimately allow for more choice, more access, and lower prices to the patient. I fucking love that. And that's what I meant earlier when I said some powerful stuff competition, all those things. I'll give you another little tidbit here. Lucky is he who has an opportunity to ring the bell of liberty for any reason in their lifetime or society. We all ring the bell of liberty at some point for ourselves. When we rebel or we leave our homes, we turn 18, whatever. Liberty, freedom, choice, we feel it. It is the driving current deep, 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 deep beneath everything is our burning, our yearning to be free. And the cannabis industry has allowed me to fight for that. And for people who want that in a very real way while I'm here on earth. So that is a very unique opportunity And how many times do you get involved in an issue where it's just like so upside down? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like where somebody doesn't have freedom. Now you can fight for an individual freedom who is like wrongly convicted. You can fight for freedom to uh, do certain things with child protection services. Yeah, certainly. But the cannabis freedom, the cannabis movement globally, globally as one giant fight for freedom and choice which means it's directly aligned with what I believe to be the most divine characteristic that humanity can even concept, uh, conceive or fathom, and perhaps God itself. You see what I'm saying? Or at least, I mean, I'm, I'll figure this out. <laughs> well, hey, I've got, a, I've got an interesting question for you that I feel like kind of is an interesting way of thinking about things. Uh, sure. uh, fan of the show, somebody who came on recently said something interesting that I think they said they heard from another show. But um, the, the point is, the idea was very interesting to me. They said, you know, to a certain extent, these companies are almost, you could argue that they're setting themselves up for failure. Some of these MSOs that particularly fight for limited license right. regulations, because the only way they're thwarting off competition is basically through regulation, like and stifling competition through, through the law. In other words, when federal legalization comes around and, you know, interstate commerce is a thing, these companies that actually haven't been competing with anybody will all of a sudden have to compete with some real motherfuckers, you know, that have maybe been doing it the right way. You know, I'm thinking of those people from California or whatever. Yeah. Um, just an interesting idea. It's like, oh shit, they're kind of Unless they get their way long term, they might be fucking themselves over because they've not been competing with anybody. You know, they've been kind of in that guild you were talking about. No, I seriously, but look at it like a potato sack race. You ever been on a potato sack race? Yeah. Yeah. I won one. That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. Imagine if the world is all lined up together and they all Mm -hmm. have a potato sack and they all can jump and go at the same time. You don't know who's going to win. 
But the way they look at it is like, okay, we're going to start 100 yards ahead, this small group of us, in our potato sacks. So, yeah, we might not win against the guy next to us, but we've got this massive head start, and that's what they have. That's what Chris Crane, who's a great advocate out there and also a businessman, was talking about, even more so to get a little bit more involved about what I'm talking about right now. The Canadian publicly traded companies, they're like, you know, they have like supercharged potato sacks. Saying. So they're like one, one step ahead, but they're using that and they're keeping everybody else back with limited licensing so that they don't have the same opportunity to compete. So yeah, they're going to eat each other's lunch. They're going to fail against those. There's going to be MSOs. I don't like to even use the word MSOs. There's going to be certain groups of individuals that are running certain, you know, cultivations, dispensaries. You know what somebody said recently that I thought was interesting? They called them MSCs, multi-state corporations, because, you know, like you, like you say, multi-state, kind of becoming a multi-state operator is, a, is an amicable goal of any person. Yeah. You know, you would like to have your products sold in multiple states. But really what we're talking about is a multiple state corporations. These people that aren't farming like a craft grower, they're, they're applying in, you know, corporate yeah. techniques to everything. So I kind of liked that. You know what? I, I, I kind of went the other direction. I hear what you're saying. I don't mind corporations though, because individuals always incorporate themselves and stuff. So I fair, fair. About corporations. So yeah. I let, let the MSOs be and people can still kick around the MSOs the way they want to get started. <laughs> sure. But I give credit to those, what I call MDOs multi-dispensary organizations mm. and those are MSOs that have that mom and pop vibe to them that are still like independently owned and kind of stuff. But you know, and, and what do you call brands? Like, so, so the clear is a great brand. They're in like nine States. Um, wild is in like 17 States. Are they MSOs or are they just multi-brand operations, multi-state brand operations? You know what I'm saying? So, but, uh, you know, I guess at the point. end, you probably want to, shows like this help educate the consumer and patient and employee as to what's going on. But my concern is more those who would call themselves chemist industry members and what they're messaging in and what they're understanding in. And they need to do a gut check. They need to do a soul check. Because if you're going to be in this industry and you don't support a free market, there's just something wrong with you. There's just something wrong with you. Either you're just concerned about yourself, you don't give a damn about anyone else. Or you're just not aware of what's going on and uh, yeah. people should be more aware of that. Yeah. And maybe consumers and patients, maybe there should be like a Mita USA medallion where companies and organizations who vow to spend no money lobbying to protect uh, their market structure for protectionist policies or to promote limited licensing deserve and get a Mita medallion. And then consumers and patients can and know that that's a company that supports a free market, which is ultimately innovation, competition, lower prices, access, and all those other things. That's a I good love that idea, idea, Cole. I love that idea. We're we called should, the yeah. Cole Meta Medallion. I would be honored if you did that, especially because we just published an episode, folks, check it out, to show you how these people spend their money and, like you say, if they spend them on protectionist measures. So check that out if you want to see where these companies spend their money and who of your elected officials they're spending it on. So maybe, we, you know, I really like that idea. We can make that happen. <clears throat> you should well, make that happen. We can get back together on this. I, I got to go. I got a meeting. Yep. But uh, 
um, let's, let's do another show sometime, you know, whatever questions people have to, I'm more than willing to go anywhere and do anything and talk to anyone. Well, Dimitri, I'm honored uh, to spend time with you today. Thank you so much. And yeah, let's keep in touch. All right, Cole. I appreciate you. I want to thank Dimitri again for joining me on this episode of the Chillinois podcast. To wrap up, I just want to succinctly say this one more time. We need to fight for the open markets, which is competition, which is opportunity. This would be best for the patients and the consumers and any entrepreneur trying to get in the industry full stop.